Hello, this is Sid Roth, and I'm with Kyle Winkler. I'm the Jewish man that is Meshuggah for Yeshua. That means crazy for Jesus. And the question I have for you is, who are you crazy for? You're crazy for something or someone. I just happen to be Meshuggah for Yeshua. I want the whole world to be Meshuggah for Yeshua. My guest, Kyle Winkler, uh, raised in a Catholic home at 16. He goes to a charismatic church. He gets radically saved. Uh, you, 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 you told me that you saw life for the first time in your life. What did you observe? Oh, goodness. You know, Sid, for so much of my youth, I understood Jesus as this distant man that was hanging on a cross that looked down scowling at everybody waiting to zap them dead for every mistake that they made. And so that created not a holy fear of awe and wonder for God in me, but it created a fear that wanted to keep me away from God, really, because I was ultimately scared. And so I go in at 16 years old by some invitations from some friends of mine at school into this charismatic church that looked very different than anything I'd ever seen before. And the music and the preaching and the entire atmosphere was charged, would be the best way that I could put it, was charged with life. And in that moment, I mean, some people talk about coming out of that background and coming into something like this, and it takes them a while to get used to it. But in that moment, I was ready. I was like, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I didn't know existed, but here it is. And it was so powerful. I understood for the first time that God offered life, abundant life, and that he offered power for my everyday life, that he was interested in what I was going through right then, right there, right now, and that his power would help me through the issues that I was facing in the present time. And, and, and you had several uh, obstacles. Your parents were not very happy that you were going to a Protestant church. Uh, and, and in addition to that, you were a pretty shy guy, uh, but God knew this and started encouraging you with prophetic words. What were some of the words that they started telling you? Well, a boldness rose up in me which, as you said there, is I was so shy that, that they put me in special reading programs because they thought I had a reading issue, when the truth of the matter is, in kindergarten and first grade, I was just too afraid to speak out loud. And so that hindered me in so many ways. So I come into this church, and I see all of this life, and I realize that, that God has power to help me and to, to give me courage and to give me boldness and freedom from fear. And so that's the first thing that I really felt there. But then all these words started started coming in from people that uh, I can remember one in particular. It was a man that, that traveled around, and he stood me up in the middle of the congregation, of course. And in that moment, not having been in something like that before, my knees were shaking as, as I thought he was going to expose my every sin, you know, in front of the congregation. But he stood me up there. I think I was 17 years old at that time. And he stood me up, and the church I went to is called Grace Church, and he said, I got a powerful, powerful word, word for you, Kyle. It's called released articulation, a freedom of speech that you'd never had before. And coming out of that shyness, I mean, it was radically different than what I was before. 
this word. And he said, you will be the Grace Church Yacker, is how he put it. And then he went through various various scriptures. And, you know, so many times when, when the Lord gives you a word, it can often be completely different than where you are in your circumstance, which can make it seem unbelievable. But I knew that it had to be God. And, and how tough was it living at home with your parents wanting you to go to the just the Catholic Church and be a nice Catholic boy? How difficult was that for you? That was extremely difficult. I had faced so much rejection anyway in my school days because of being an outcast and misunderstood. And then all of a sudden, here I just wanted to grow in my faith. And I thought that that would be something that people would be happy about. Obviously, I wasn't going into something that I thought people would think was, you know, some other thing outside of Christianity. But here I thought, I'm just wanting to go deeper in my Christian faith and love the Lord more. And I just started to come against, you know, the obstacles. And my parents didn't know any better. I mean, we were all at a, a totally different place than we are today. I mean, I was probably overzealous in things, and they had never dealt with anything like that. Everybody's Catholic in my hometown, really. And so I come home on fire and passionate and really not shutting up about anything. And so they didn't know how to deal with me. And so for my high school years, it was very tough in the household as I certainly said things that I probably shouldn't have had said, and they didn't understand any of it. And so we were fleshing all of that out. But here I was just wanting to grow in my faith. And it was just obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, ultimately trying to hold me back from it. Okay. A couple of years ago, uh, you've just finished giving a, a teaching a series on spiritual warfare, and the devil decides to test you. But everyone listening to us can relate to what you were going through. Uh, you awoke one day to a series of whispers and accusations. Tell me about that. So there I was. All of a sudden, I had just launched into my own full-time ministry. Was- yeah, that devil knows when to hit you. Just as you're all filled with faith, you're, re- you're ready to start your own full-time ministry, and you get clobbered. Okay, go ahead. Isn't that what it is? It, yeah, it comes at an opportune time, is what, was what the Bible says. And so all of a sudden, I woke up in my everyday life uh, to this nagging voice that I just explained as like perched on my shoulder that threw out these whispers and accusations. I mean, they bombarded me. And the first one, I I vividly remember, there were three over a series of a week. And the first one said, look what you've done. And, you know, that kind of sinister voice, you can almost hear it. Look what you've done. And what that did is that redirected my mind's eye back to my every sin that I ever committed since potty training. I mean, there I was at four years old pickpocketing the piece of chocolate taffy from the grocery store candy bin. Or a couple years later, taking the Louisville Slugger to the neighborhood stomach for no reason, as if there's ever a reason for that. But, but you know, though in those instances, my dad's belt clear and his belt loops paid my penance, there was no infraction too distant or too small for the devil to bring back to my remembrance at that moment. But, now, now, there's some people listening right now and say, hey, if that was all I did, I'd be in great shape. But, that's uh, right, exactly. But he didn't end there. You know, he, he'll use the smallest things to beat you down, 
And that's what he was doing then. But, but he kept upping the ante. And eventually he got to the sins of my adult life. He got to the secret sins. The things, and this was so poignant, the things that I did after that I was a Christian that he used to hang over my head to make me feel like, oh, and you think that you're a Christian. Look at the things that you've done. The lust, especially. The things I wouldn't dare, you know, I was in ministry by by seven years by this time. I wouldn't dare mention some of the things. And, and, and you know what? Uh, the devil hits you at that opportune time, and you you would think, well, why didn't I just know it was devil and re- reject him? But he makes you think that it's your thoughts. That's right. That's right. And sometimes the devil will even, you know, we, we call him the father of lies, which he is, and he speaks nothing but lies. But sometimes he will use truth, something that was true in your life. And it was true that my mind and my eyes and, and I had gone into places by that time that, of course, I regret and and wasn't being held to a level of holiness. So he was reminding me of those things which were true, but he was twisting them in a way to make me feel like I was too far gone. It was hopeless. And that was the second whisper that he came after me with during that week. Look what you've done. Then he said, God can't use you. God can't use you. The things that you've done, you've gone too far. You've messed up one too many times. You're too dirty to be used in God's service much less the miracle-working power that you pray to flow through you. So, through. so he, starts, he starts with the truth, and then he proceeds to lie. That's right. That's right. To, to deceive you, to make you think, oh, man, you know, this stuff is true, and I guess God can't use me because look at all the things that I've done. You know, and that's, for that week, I mean, it was like, those things bounce back and forth through my mind as best I can describe it, like dirty laundry in a never-ending tumble cycle. It just went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, beating me down to where I was shaking. I was I was afraid during that week to answer phone calls or to open emails. It's what I've found in the Bible described as evil forebodings, this vague sense that the worst is going to happen. My every sin is going to be exposed. I'm going to have to be punished. You know, so I was afraid that the sky might fall at any time because look at the things I've done. Now God can't use me. And then the third whisper that I heard, and this is this is the end result of the devil's playbook in every single case. The third whisper is shut it all down. Shut it all down. He wanted me to walk away from the ministry that I had just launched out to do. I was starting to do some television interviews by that time had a social media platform that was growing, speaking engagements that were starting up, you know, all the stuff that comes with starting your own ministry. And so all of those whispers and those accusations were aimed for that last whisper to shut it all down, walk away and do anything else but be in ministry because you're too far gone. So Now, while this was all going on, did you feel these were your thoughts, these were the Holy Spirit's thoughts, these were the enemy's thoughts? What did you feel at the time? At first, I thought that it were my thoughts, and then it were the Lord's thoughts. And that was the deception in it. And that was what was so, I guess, debilitating and condemning about these things, because I thought it was God or the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit will come to convict, of course, and that's often what's needed for repentance. 
but he never condemns. And there were some things that I had dealt with and had repented of, but they were still coming back to my thoughts. So after all of that, I realized finally, at kind of the end of it, I realized who was responsible for this voice, especially when it came to, to the part of shut it all down to walk away. I understood that the thief comes to kill, steal, and to destroy, and that's exactly what he was trying to do with his accusations in that moment. And that began to shift things, certainly. But for that week, my mind was the battlefield in a very severe demonic war that was really intended to shut me up and shut me down. But then you had a revelation that I wish everyone would have this revelation. Uh, and that's what you're, that's, that's part of your ministry DNA right now is to people, for people to get the revelation you got this, the, the, from reading your book or listening to your DVDs or listening to us discuss this right now, tell me uh, from that, that week of hell, literally, where you were, had that battlefield in the mind, uh, what changed it? Well, thankfully, God never leaves us in despair, and He's the one that comes looking for us. And just as He did with Adam and Eve when they messed up big time, He came to them with a cover of righteousness. And ultimately, after my week of all those whispers and that despair and everything, something shifted. And I had a resource that I was preparing for another speaking engagement or a TV interview with, and that resource took my attention to a verse of Scripture that is a familiar verse of Scripture. I had read over it many, many, many times before, but in the heat of the warfare, I believe God was wanting to get my attention through this Scripture, and it's what shifted everything. And this is simple Scripture. It's, it's John one twenty nine. It's John the Baptist speaking, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you know, as I said, I had went through that scripture many, many times before, but suddenly I caught attention to the word behold. It was, that was what made the difference. You see, behold isn't, it's not a quick glance. It's a close study. It's a meditating on it. It's not going to someplace and then walking away. It's staying there. And, and truly seeing it and letting it get in you. So suddenly I started to understand what, what, what God was wanting me to do. He was wanting me to see Jesus in his moment of being the lamb who takes away the sin, to see him as 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he who knew no sin, taking on my sin, all the accusations, all the guilt, all the shame, all the condemnation that the devil was hovering over my head and whispering into my ear that week, God came to me with that verse, and he wanted me to see it all upon Jesus, the sinless one. And suddenly that started to shift everything. I mean, my mind's eye in that moment went from, as I said, the devil trying to get me to see my every sin since potty training, to my mind's eye then shifted to my every sin since potty training on the sinless one. And I started to behold Jesus as a lamb. And I can tell you, I can go through what I saw with my mind's eye 
I, I want you to tell me everything that you saw because I believe this revelation is so profound. It was profound enough to uh, get you from, as you put it, uh, partially uh, uh, sold out to completely sold out to the Lord. Uh, I'd like you to take a step-by-step of this profound revelation. Let me explain. And and as, as I go through this, you know, I know this is a radio program, and I'm not sure where everybody's at or what they're doing as they're listening. But as I describe this, if you can, I just encourage the listener to close your eyes and actually go there with me. What I found, this, this verse, Behold the Lamb of God, I've now found that it's been one of the verses heralded by some of the most famous preachers of our time. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, said nobody needs a new message when Behold the Lamb is the old message. He said, look and live. And that's what happened to me. So I'm just going to describe what happened in this moment to me as I beheld Jesus. I'll tell you what. What I'd like to do is when we come back, we will tell those, if it's possible, to close their eyes. And I believe you're going to have a fresh revelation of beholding the Lamb, of not just believing, but beholding the Lamb in such a profound way that it will revolutionize your walk with God. Uh, But we're making available, and it's so, so important for you to hear all of the teaching connected with uh, what Kyle Winkler is describing. His book, Silence Satan, it teaches you step by step how to live in a place where everything that the devil means to defeat you ends up in his own defeat. It's just like, remember in the book of Esther, Haman uh, built these gallows for Mordecai, and what happened to Haman? He hung on the same gallows. I like that. That's, that. that's a pretty good place to live in. And then the second is you have to recognize that this is an absolute battle for your destiny. That's what's at stake. And this key teaching, step by step, line upon line, line, will stop you from falling in the trap that Kyle used to fall into and that just about everyone listening to me falls into. And that's going on a little mind trip with the devil where he starts telling you truth and you don't know it's the devil and you just think it yourself. And then he slips in some lies for the purpose of fighting your destiny. But this key teaching will shut down the enemy's attacks, his threats, his lies, his accusations once and for all. It's three DVDs and the book Silent Satan available for investment of $39. I say investment because anything extra you put in or any profits that we make, we have no debt in this ministry. It's all poured into Jewish evangelism. We are on television in Israel, secular Christian TV, 33 times a week in English, in Hebrew, in Russian, and in Arabic. Now, I am in awe that that's going on. Secular TV, imagine that. God is so good. When we come back, 
the goodness of God's going to be poured on you. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697, 1-800-447-2697. Sid Roth back with Kyle Winkler. And Kyle, how old are you? I'm 30. And how old were you when you had this amazing revelation? I would have been 27. Okay. What is the difference in your life before Revelation and now? I would say that an incredible new level of boldness and a new understanding of the righteousness that I have been declared from God. And because of that, that gives me a new level of confidence and boldness. I'm not held back by the things that used to hold me back. I'm not afraid of the things that I used to be afraid of, the issues of the past, the things people have said about me, all of that stuff now is crucified. And I have really been resurrected with Christ above all of those things. And I see myself in him. So there's a new boldness and confidence like I've never had before. And and if that hadn't occurred, would you be in the ministry you're in today? Let's assume it hadn't happened. No, I don't, I don't think I would be in the ministry. I think I'd have been so beat down by the devil, so, so feeling like I'm not good enough, like does God even love me anymore, or more so that he couldn't use me because of all of those things that I'd been through. And so I think the devil would have talked me out. As I like to say, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And if he can't kill you physically, although he will try, He'll come to steal your voice and kill your destiny and destroy any kind of ministry you have or might have one day. And that's certainly what he was trying to do with it. And you know what I love about your teaching? Once and for all, you and everyone listening can shut down the voice of Satan. That's what, What an advantage in the point in history where we are right now. That's right. You know, Jesus said he, he gave us his words saying that I have given you all power over the enemy. And, you know, I'd read those words so much, but I didn't realize that the source of that all power over the enemy is really in the revelation of the cross that I had. Would you, would you start out and teach a little bit about the cross, the blood, the righteousness that we have available? Uh, So few real Christians even comprehend this? Oh, I know. The devil has really masked it because he knows that it is the crux of the faith. I mean, Paul boasted in nothing but the cross. And he said, this is what I was given, this is what I give you, that Jesus died and was buried, that he rose again, and that he showed himself to many. It's the cross, it's the blood, that's the foundations of it all. And so he's really, the devil has tried to hide us so much, or blind our eyes, I guess I should say, to what really matters. But I saw it. And one thing that, that the Bible says here is in 1 John 3, 8, and it says that the Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. He was revealed. And everything about Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry, the teachings, the deliverances and healings that he did, his death and his resurrection, everything were all aimed to take back things that the enemy had stolen from what we read in the very first couple verses or chapters of Genesis. And so Jesus was revealed to plummet 
Satan's sham kingdom. And the Bible teaches us that the cross was actually the plan from the beginning of time, from before the foundations of the earth. It was God's strategy or his insurance policy, if you will, to defeat the devil. And largely, Satan wasn't aware of this, and it was hid from him until the moment of the cross, the moment when Jesus spoke out from that hill. And I'll go to those words in just a few minutes, but I want you to understand that Satan isn't particularly creative. He's not inventive so much. He has a playbook that I like to call it. And from the very beginning of time, starting with Adam and Eve, he goes through the same things after the same things. He's the opposer and the accuser, the Bible says. Opposing, he tries to get us to fail and to trip up and to fall, which is what he did in my life and what he's done in so many others' lives, so that he can follow up with the next part of his playbook, which is to beat us down with guilt, shame, accusation. That's what I went through whenever he said, God can't use you. Look what you've done. Shut it all down. He wants to try to separate us from God to make us feel like God doesn't love us anymore. God can't use us anymore. He did that with Adam and Eve. That's why they hid themselves in the bushes after they had sinned and taken the devil's bait. He ultimately did that with Judas. When when he entered Judas, Judas betrayed Jesus, or yes, Judas betrayed Jesus. And then with guilt and accusations, I believe it led Judas to a noose to be hung from a tree. But then here's the thing, and this is where the moment of the cross really starts to shine, is Satan thought that he could try the same thing with Jesus. He had gotten Adam and Eve to hide with guilt and shame. He got Judas to kill himself with guilt and shame, and he thought that he was taking Jesus down to Via Della Rosa, which is the way of the cross or the way of suffering, putting the guilt and shame and accusations of the world, not his own, but of the world, on the back of Jesus. And so, you know, the devil knows Scripture, and sometimes he'll use Scripture against us at times, but he knew what Deuteronomy said, that cursed is a man that hangs on a tree. And so he probably sneered that day as he thought that he was silencing the voice of deliverance, the very Son of God. I mean, imagine crucifixion, even to this day, is the cruelest form of execution. There's, there's nothing worse than crucifixion. Nobody came back from crucifixion. If you wanted to silence somebody for good, that's what you did. You crucified them. It was so horrible that Rome wouldn't even put its own citizens through it. It only put strangers through crucifixion. So the devil thinks that he's got Jesus taking him through floggings, through beatings, beaten, battered, bruised, beyond description is what the prophet Isaiah said. And then he hears Jesus as he hangs there, saying, crying out from his tree of scorn, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he thought he won. (laughs) He thought he won. He thought that he had undone the punishment that God declared to him in Genesis chapter 3 when he said that a deliverer would come that would crush the head of the devil. He thought that he had won, and he undid all of that. When he had Jesus there, hanging on that cross, covered in the most disgusting thing ever, which is sin, crying out, God, why did you forsake me? He thought he had taken Jesus to a place of being a stranger to God, 
Now the son is separated from the father. Another one bites the dust is what I'm sure that he sang out that day as all of hell probably grinned thinking that they had silenced the voice of deliverance. But you know what? The devil is so nearsighted. He often misses the forest for the trees, and Satan forgot that Jesus was known for turning tables. And he thought that he had Jesus cursed as a man that hangs on a tree under God's curse, but he forgot Isaiah 53, 5, that said he is wounded for our transgressions, he's crushed for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his wounds were healed. He didn't know Colossians 2, 14 through 15, that says it was at the cross where our record of wrongs, that record that stood against us with its legal demands, was set aside and nailed there. That There at the cross he was disarmed, the rulers and the authorities were made a public spectacle of, he was triumphed over at the cross. He didn't know that it was the cross that was actually the strategy, Revelations 13, 8 says, set up from before the foundations of the earth. It says that he was the Lamb that was to be slain before the foundations of the earth, that this was the strategy of God all along. Ultimately, the cross was a bait that God led the devil into. Not that the devil was taking Jesus. Jesus voluntarily signed up to be the lamb that was slain before the world was ever created, and it was all put into action here at the cross to deal with our sin and with our shame and with our guilt and with our condemnation. And so there it is. Jesus is hanging on that cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and the devil is probably sneering. But then these words come forth. As the sky grows dark, and suspense, I'm sure, is growing in the air, and Jesus thunders one more word from that cross for all of creation to hear. And this is a very important word. It's tetelestai. Tetelestai is a Greek word meaning it is finished. And this word would have been incredibly important, and Satan would have understood exactly what it meant, because tetelestai in those days was something that was, it was a word that was stamped across receipts, meaning a bill was paid in full. It was a word that we could read in literature where if a son was running home to the father, he might run to Telestai, to Telestai, to Telestai, saying, I'm coming home because a mission has been completed. So Jesus is hanging there on that cross, and he thunders to Telestai, it is finished, and the devil would have heard that Jesus was now returning home because he finished a mission, that a bill has paid in full. It was finished. And that was the proclamation that I believe 1 John 3, 8 was talking about when the Son of God was revealed for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Because to Telestai meant that the devil's works are now destroyed, that that mission was completed. Slavery to sin, and I want people that are listening to hear this because these words will transcend time to speak to them today. That, that slavery to sin is finished as those nails go through and sever that cord, that bungee cord of sin that attaches to us. So we, you know, we, we get so far and then it slings us back, and we get so far and it slings us back. But Hebrews 2.14 says that through his death he destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, 
and all those who, through the fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. Slavery to sin is finished. Guilt and shame, finished. As Romans 8.21 says, or, or 8.1 rather, that therefore there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus voluntarily made himself the final sacrificial lamb so that it was the final, once for all, atoning for our sin. We could now be put back into right standing, which is righteousness with God, not in and of our own efforts, but because of the efforts of Jesus Christ that are on that cross, as that blood, that bondage-breaking blood flows through him. And finally, the question of God, does God love me, is finished. So many people feel like God is mad at them, like I did. I felt like God had to punish me for my every sin. And the sky was just going to fall because God was getting ready to zap me dead for everything. The cross reveals that the wrath of God is satisfied as he who knew no sin took on our sin and the so that is so important, so that we would be declared the righteousness of God in Jesus. God isn't mad at us, but he's mad about us. And we see him there on that cross saying, it is finished with his arms stretched out saying, I love you this big. And so the cross was the ultimate gotcha. To the devil. And what was the blood? The blood was, if, if you look back in the Old Testament and you see the importance of blood and you see that on the Day of Atonement, they had to come in and they had to offer the blood from, they had to sprinkle the blood from a pure spotless lamb to atone for their sins. That's, that was the law God established in order for them to be Israel, to be in right relationship with God. And here, Jesus is that lamb. And that blood that was shed was shed there on the altar of the earth for the once and for all satisfaction, the once and for all justification of sin so that we don't have to keep going back and back to some altar. But Jesus shed it for all time, saying it's finished. It doesn't have to be done anymore. And that curtain, there was a curtain that separated the people from God in the, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. And that, that curtain, that thick black veil, was ripped to shred. And God moved out of the temple, and ultimately his spirit moves into his people. And so the very things that separated humanity from God since the Garden of Eden, because of the blood of Jesus, because of the shedding of it there on the cross, is finished. God's not mad at you, but he's mad about you. Yeah, you know, Kyle, as you're describing this, I believe there's going to be such a supernatural light bulb and revelation that's going to come on to people because in the midst of the battle, in the midst 
of the worst trial of your life, in the midst in which Satan had his checkmate, and there are many people in that position right now, at least Satan thought he had his checkmate, in the midst, you had a revelation of Jesus that I want the whole world to hear when we come back, and I'm making your book and your amazing teaching, I I mean, I, I love it. When you say such things as, now the devil's not stupid, but he's totally predictable. And you put down step by step of his M.O. And it's kind of stupid that we fall for it since he's so predictable. But I want to make available your book, Silent Satan, the three DVD series on that subject. And also information that they can get a free app. I love the title. It's called Shut Up Devil app, and it'll be no charge. And what you've done is you've taken the major areas the devil tries to attack, written out scriptures, personalized. They look up the category, and they can read it out loud. And, oh, I have to ask you this one quick question, which is so good. You talk about the power of God's Word, and you talk about the universe— just briefly, what do you mean by the universe? Universe is a Latin word that comes from two Latin words, actually. Uni, which means one, and verse, which means a single spoken sentence. So literally, when you hear scientists and everybody talking about the universe that we live in, they're actually saying a truth from Scripture, that we live in a single spoken sentence. And I can even tell you what it was. God said, let there be. Hmm. And it's, that, that's amazing what the word universe means to me. Let me repeat that. We live inside one spoken statement. It, it, and therefore, Isn't that awesome? everything that is coming against us can be changed by a powerful spoken statement called the Word of God. And most believers have no idea how much power is available when they talk back to the devil. Okay, we're making the book, and trust me, the teaching is so systematic because Kyle's gone through it, but he went through it not just for himself, but for you, especially young people you know. But I have to tell you, most older people I know could greatly use this book and three DVD series, and the free app available for investment of $39 because we are going to pour all profits or any money you give over and above the $39 into Jewish ministry. We are investing in Israel. Why? Because God has orchestrated all the Jews in the world will eventually end up in Israel. Persecution will occur in all countries, and Jews will return uh, to Israel. We are on 33 times a week on secular and Christian television in English, in Russian, in Hebrew, and in Arabic. We are saturating the air with the Word of God of our television show, It's Supernatural. Now, we'll be right back, and your life is about ready to be changed. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. Sid Roth here with Kyle Winkler, and I sure hope you're not driving, but if you are 
don't do what I'm about ready to tell you, please. I want you to close your eyes because Kyle Winkler had a revelation that will totally change your walk with God, totally open up that destiny that the devil's been trying to stop. So if it's possible, if you're driving, pull over to the side of the road, or if you're uh, uh, in a place where you can just sit down and close your eyes, Kyle, you're at the end of your rope. The devil looks like he has won, and then you have this revelation. Tell me about it. I had to go to the cross to meet the man on the cross. I had to go to behold this lamb. And I'm just going to describe it right now and take you there with me. And so I, I invite everybody to, to take their eyes off of everything else to behold this lamb. Clear your mind of tomorrow's worries and come with me to a hill outside of Jerusalem city walls. Here an innocent man, and this is what I saw. I saw this innocent man suspended on a tree between two criminals. And my eyes focused only on him and focused now only on him. Hanging there, merely by nails pierced through his hands and his feet. I understood in that moment, and I'm here to tell you that he knows what your pain feels like. There he dangles on the world stage naked. He knows what your rejection and your embarrassment feels like. Here's the man that was tempted and tried in every which way. He can understand our weaknesses. And so I beheld this sight, and then I beheld no greater love. I saw what God's wonderful plan for my life was, and it was right there. It was Jesus dying so selflessly to give me a life of meaning and purpose. And I took it all in until I was vulnerable again. And I started to feel there on my apartment room floor as my callous heart started softening. But I gaped deeper into his wounds. The Lord took me there. That's what he focused, focused on beholding the lamb. He took me to see his wounds, which is where my healing really began to happen. And I want you to see, listener, that your past and its wrongs are but a speck compared to the magnitude of the arms of grace stretched out across that rugged, splintery beam. And I encountered Jesus until the grips by which I was bound were loosened. And burdens I carried seemed to dissolve. But as I got closer to the foot of the cross, I let the wonder of Calvary take over my senses. And I looked up at my Savior, and I saw his face spat on by all the soldiers. And I cried, and I cried, and I cried. And his eyes were bloodshot with sleeplessness. I saw that crown of thorns. It was a garland of twisted-together thorns atop his head, one-inch barbs pressed down upon his maimed forehead as scarlet streams of blood raced down, covering his sinless body. I just tell you to behold the Lamb of God, the final once-for-all sacrifice, shredded. That's what he was, shredded upon the altar of the earth. Oceans of wrath consumed him. That's what I saw, wave upon wave of my sin, taking over the man who knew no sin. Every lash 
I saw those lashes of that Roman scourge. And that Roman scourge, and this is hard to hear people, I know, but you have to hear it. His wounds will heal yours. That Roman scourge had one had met pieces of metal shrapnel attached to this cat of nine tails, so that every lash, when it was pulled away, it pulled away chunks of flesh, it pulled away tendons and arteries and nerves. There's your deliverer filleted like a lamb from top to bottom. I saw this massacre. It was a massacre unlike any other in history. Not an inch of his body was untouched by the cruelty. He was marred, as the prophet Isaiah said, beyond description. You know, we see all kinds of movies that try to represent the passion of the Christ in some way. But you can still recognize him as a man. But Isaiah said that he would be so beaten, battered, and bruised that you couldn't even recognize him as a man. And I tell you what, that's what I understood that day. And I wept, and I wept as I saw my sin on him, all that guilt and all that shame and all the accusations. And it wasn't just my sin, but it was your sin. And the sin of the whole world did that to Jesus. In that moment, my sin became exceedingly sinful. And I want people to understand that until you get to the point to where your sin's exceedingly sinful, you really won't find true freedom. Because God promises that he will remove our enemies, not our friends. And too many of us, sin is still our friend. we got to get to the place where sin is our enemy. But when I saw my sin upon Jesus and what it did to him in that moment, it became my enemy. And that's when God came in the midst of my despair. And I heard, I heard these words as the Spirit began to minister to me. He said, I want you to get off that floor. And that floor was stained with tears and all kinds. And he said, I want you to write out a list of your wrongs, the things that you had never dealt with, the things you thought you dealt with, but you obviously hadn't because they were still haunting you. Write them all out. And so I did in a very painful few minutes after I beheld this lamb. I wrote out a record of my wrongs to where at the end of it, it looked more like an indictment for my arrest. But then, and this is what switched it all. I heard the Lord minister to me and he said, I want you now to draw a cross and write blood and draw a cross and write blood. And so that's what I did for the next 10 minutes or so. All I did on that record of my wrongs is all my sins were listed out on that thing. I wrote a cross and I drew blood until that piece of paper was covered by the only two things that can actually cover for your sins, the blood of Jesus Christ and the cross that it was shed on. And then he said, I want you to rip that paper to shreds, the symbol that I have thrown your sin as far as the East is from the West. And I want people to hear that for themselves today. That at the cross, that lamb took your sins. This is what Colossians 2, 14 through 15 says. That record of wrongs that I created, that record that stands against you, was taken there to the cross and it was nailed. It was crucified. It's power its influence crucified in your life so that I could hear and you can hear the final words from Jesus on that cross. And that's what I heard after I ripped that paper to shred. I heard what we just went into in the last segment. I heard God say to me, 
it is finished. The slavery to sin finished. The guilt and shame finished. The question of, does God love me? Can he use me? Finished. And I understood, finally, that the strategy that God prepared from the beginning of the time, the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth, which was put into action some 2,000 years ago, is still the source of our victory today. It's still the ultimate gotcha. It's still the place where we can take our bad and God turns it into good. It's the place of an identity exchange. At that cross, you have to understand, Jesus hung there naked, which meant that he was disrobed. And you can read in Scripture where the Bible says that the that the soldiers cast lots for his robe. They bartered for it. They wanted a trophy to what they did that day. But they didn't understand the significance of that robe. That robe was a robe of righteousness. It's the very identity, the very sinless identity, personality, DNA of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you today that that robe still sits there at the foot of the cross for whoever will go there to pick it up and put it on. This is why Paul tells us that we can put on Jesus that we can clothe ourselves in Jesus. We can put on his blood. We can cover ourselves in that righteous bondage-breaking blood when we stand there at the foot of Calvary like I did that day. And we hear it is finished over our lives. And we put on that new identity. And in Christ, God doesn't see your, your sin stains and the holes in your clothes. He actually sees his blood stains and his holy clothes, which is Jesus. And he says there, you're accepted, you're forgiven, you're made right, you're new, you're chosen, I love you, I will use you. That's what God's saying for you today, is that he wants to use you, and he will. He'll use you in despite of you, but he will use you because he loves you, because he sent Jesus as a lamb to pay for your sins. And when you behold it and you receive it for yourself, I'm telling you, like it did for me, it changes your life. You told me you felt as though you were no longer partly transformed. Explain. That's right. I, I suddenly understood exactly what I had in Christ. You know, the Bible says that old things pass away. Here's that word again, behold all things become new. Paul's saying, I want you to see it, I want you to get it, that in Christ, because of what Jesus did, everything that we've been talking about, you are completely transformed. It's not that you have one eye that's old and another eye that's new, or one leg that's new and the other that's old. Everything about you is new because it's in Christ. You are given His identity, and that's what I found. I had His identity. The rejection issues of my past, the sins that I committed after I was a Christian, all of those things were under the blood. I now understood the identity that I was given at my salvation so that I could walk it out and I could live in that victory, in his victory, every single day. Now, one of the DVDs we're making available is called The Noose or the Nails. Briefly, what does that mean? That's my story. That's what that's what I share. God, God revealed to me in the moment of the warfare. He said, Kyle, you can go to the noose or to the nails to be hung or to be held, but either way, you have to die. You can either take all that guilt and that shame and go down the road of Judas to be hung by a noose where the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, or 
you can take all that guilt and shame like Jesus did, put it on his back, take it down the Via Dolorosa, the way of the cross, where they will be crucified. Your flesh will be crucified by nails. Yes, it too is death, but death of flesh so that a resurrected life above the influences of the devil can arise. And so that's what that really is all about. And I really believe that's the crossroads so many of us, so many people listening today stand at the noose or the nails, to be hung or to be held in holiness by the crucifying nails of Christ. And very few Christians understand that he not only took our shame and totally understands it by what he did, he not only took our sins and totally understands us by what he did, because he was sinless. He couldn't even relate until he took all of our sins. That's it. All of our hurts, all of our pains. And I love the Hebrew when it's translated in Isaiah 53, which was written 800 years before he did this, which says he bore our illnesses and our sicknesses as well as our sins. He bore them all. He carried them away. And we have a choice. We can either accept what he did or accept the lies of the devil. And I love your book, Silence Satan, uh, because this book explains in such graphic detail. But then you talk about the strategies of Satan, the playbook of the devil, and once and for all, I love the way you say this, your teaching will shut down the enemy's attacks, his threats, his lies, his accusations once and for all. And you can dust yourself off and get on with your destiny. And then we'll include information on how to get your free app called Shut Up Devil App, in which whatever area the devil is tempting you in or coming against you in, you just immediately go to that area, and then you have scripture that is personalized, and you say that out loud, and you will become the devil's greatest nightmare. You know, Kyle wants you to live in a place where everything that the devil means to defeat you with defeats him because it all amounts to a battle for your destiny. Will you achieve your destiny? And will tens of thousands of people be believers in the Messiah because of that? That's what the fight is over. So we're making the book and the three DVD set, Silent Satan, available for an investment of $39. And of course, when I say investment, I mean investment. Because any profits we make, or if you put extra money in, we are debt-free as a ministry, and it will be poured into Jewish evangelism. Remember the words of Jesus. He said, I shall not return until the Jewish people say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 33 times a week on television, in Israel, secular, Christian. Hebrew, English, Russian, Arabic. We are saturating that land. And you are partnering with us in it.
Place a credit card order for today's offer? Call anytime at 1-800-447-2697. That's 1-800-447-2697. Or log on to our website at www.sidroth.org. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. Discover how you can begin watching for free our 24-hour, 7-day-a-week TV network, ISN, the It's Supernatural Network. You can write me at Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. That's Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.